1: And Jesus so changes lives that the change that he makes results in change that changes communities, changes nations, that changes the world. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect Welcome to worship, whether you're joining us in person, you're online, or if you're one of our two campuses at Six Mile or Lake Carroll, if you're here at Central Campus, would you welcome all of those who are worshiping with us today? We're especially excited that at our Six Mile campus, there are a couple of individuals who are walking through the waters of Believer's Baptism today. Would you celebrate that with them as well? Can you believe it's still 2020? Oh my goodness. Seems like so far we might have dodged this hurricane. Wonder what's next. So many people are walking through so much. As I drove to church the short couple of miles today, I had a chance to pray with my friend John, who's found himself in the emergency room. And uh, just recognize that there's so much pain in the midst of this pandemic. And that's where our faith comes in. So let me ask you a question. What good is it? What difference does it make? We ask that a lot, right? When we're considering a purchase of a a product or when we're considering implementing a program into our life, what difference does this make? What good is it to me? And that's the question that the brother of Jesus, James, ask, as he continues to get real in James chapter 2. Find that place in your scriptures, James chapter 2. Just a moment, we'll begin reading in James 2, verse 14. James is the half-brother of Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph. He now pastors a church at Jerusalem that in the midst of a season of persecution is scattered, much like the church in our culture today. But he sees a problem. He sees that the Christ they're professing does not look like the Jesus that he grew up with. The life he saw, the death he observed, the resurrection that led him to faith. It was different. Martin Luther read these same words. Martin Luther is the leader of that great revolution, the Protestant Reformation. He read the words of James and he thought, I'm not sure this makes sense. Listen to these words. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? These words to Martin Luther so outraged him that he suggested that the book of James be ripped from the canon of Scripture. He called it an epistle, a letter of straw. Why? Because he had read also the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul had said things like this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Our justification, Paul said, is through faith. In Galatians 2.16, he said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. He had read wrong, Ephesians two eight and 9, where it says, far by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. So, as we prepare to dive into this passage today, as we look at getting real, we need to ask ourselves Has the Bible contradicted itself? Is there a difference in scripture about what is being said? The answer is no. That answer is found in one key word. Look again at James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers? Say brothers. You're reading from the NIV. This says brothers and sisters because in the original language, this is not a gender-specific word. It's reminding that all who have followed Jesus, all who have faith in Christ, are part of the family of God. So now James is not just a brother of Jesus Christ. He's a brother of all those who follow Christ. He's writing to Christians. Paul was writing to Jews. Paul was trying to tell sinners how to be saved. James was trying to tell those who were saved how to be sanctified. One was dealing with legalism. Paul had a problem in the church where... They felt like their law would justify them, make them right. James was dealing with what would be called licentiousness or license. In other words, you can believe in Jesus and then do anything you want because his grace is so big. One's talking about how to become, the other's talking about how to behave. One is describing how to get from earth to heaven. That's Paul. James is describing how to get heaven back down to earth. So, James asked the question, what good is it? Can faith without works save a person? Again, as we prepare to answer that question today, we have to look at one word. We have to look at that word save, a word which we already know has different meanings in scripture. The New Testament talks about that time when we were saved, when you began that relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you who are watching this today, many of you who are present in person today, there's been a point in your life where you recognize that you were a sinner. You realize that the punishment for your sin was eternal death in a place called hell. You knew you didn't want that. And you recognize that Jesus didn't want that for you. So he died on a cross. You believed in his death on the cross. You believe that he rose again. You've confessed your faith in Jesus and you've chosen to follow him and you were saved. That's in the past. Then the New Testament talks about our being saved. When we were saved, that was justification. As we are being saved, that is sanctification. It says one day we will be saved. When we will be saved, we call that glorification. In the past, what was saved is our spirit. Our spirit will endure forever. In the present, what is being saved is our soul. In the future, what will be saved is our body. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will spend eternity with him in heaven face to face. So James is talking about what it looks like to live out that process of sanctification. But in doing so, he begs the question, if, if your life does not look like one who is being sanctified, maybe you should turn back and look in the past and ask if you ever were really saved. So as we get real today, this is kind of a big topic, because every one of us listening have an opportunity to evaluate our life, to test our faith. So let's take a moment right now. Let's pause, pray again, and ask God to so speak into our lives that we walk away with assurance, and that we walk away changed. Let's pray together. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we have gathered, worshiping you, crying out, not only in praise, but in prayer. Now we've opened your word and we've begun to read the perfect truth of scripture. The objective standard for life. The promise of our hope for eternity. And yet, as we hold the mirror of your word up to our lives, we recognize there's need for improvement. That sanctification process, even for those of us who've begun that relationship with you, needs to continue. We need to grow. So, Lord, teach us what we do not know, giving us what we do not have, making us what we've not yet become. And Lord, as a messenger this morning, I simply pray... Would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you? For you, O God, are my strength. You, O God, are my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to get real as we continue in James But I want you to understand one thing as we go forward. It's really the one truth I want you to get today. Dynamic faith changes you. And the change in you results in change in your little corner of the world. As you look at your life in the reflection of God's word, you need to ask, has this faith I profess changed me And has the change in me resulted in a change in my little corner of the world?
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul
1: Purvis. Let's continue to read in the book of James. We'll pick up in James chapter 2 and verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be worn and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Here's the question again. So also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with the works. And and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. See that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out in another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. James is trying to tell us that separating faith and works is like separating heat and light from a candle. You look at a candle and you see that that same candle produces both heat and light. It's hard for you to distinguish between the two. They affect your senses differently, but you know they're both there. John Calvin would describe it this way. He would say, it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies can never be alone. So James is really describing in this passage four kinds of faith. First of all, he says, beware of a dysfunctional faith. A dysfunctional faith is one that he describes as useless. It makes absolutely no difference. You may say that you have faith, but as one looks at your life, you're no different than those who don't even express that they have faith. For years, we've talked about this kind of faith as we've talked about missions, because we will look at people around the world and and we say that they have a nominal faith. That means though they are in the Middle East, they may say they're Muslim, but they're not practicing Muslim that's simply a family they were born into. They may say they're Christian, but they're not practicing Christian. That's a simply a family they were born to. It's faith in name only. And James says this is a useless kind of faith. What good is it? There's profession, but no evidence of possession. I would challenge you today to ask, is there any chance that I've got this kind of dysfunctional faith? Most of us that would take the time to be here or to watch this message, to listen in on the teaching from God's word, that's probably not the issue. So let's continue. James says, beware of a dead faith. And he says that several times. Faith without works is dead. It's not sick, but dead. How do you know if your faith is dead? Well, a dead faith may be one that depends solely on what you say. So you walk down an aisle or you raised your hand or you prayed a prayer. And so with your lips, you professed Christ, but nothing happened beyond that. It's important that you understand wherever you are, whatever you're setting in season of life, that according to Jesus himself, your profession is. Alone is not enough. In fact, he would put it this way in Matthew 7 and verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's possible to say the right things, to pray the right prayers, but to have a dead faith. You, you can't help but think that that's something that's going on in our culture. Did you know that in the United States of America, in the most recent Gallup and Pew surveys, 87 to 90 percent of people would say that they believe in God. But that means different things to different people. It's a profession. Does it doesn't demonstrate any change? James is saying your talk is cheap. You've got to ask, is the talk making any difference in the walk? It moves from nominal faith, a professing faith, to a possessed faith when it shows up in your life. I like the way someone said it. They said it shows up in two different books, your checkbook and your date book. It shows up in your bank account and your calendar. When you live out your faith, it affects everything. If not, you're just living it out in word only. Charles Ryrie said every Christian will bear spiritual fruit somewhere, sometime, somehow. So think about it. Is there anything more than a profession, anything more than talk in your faith journey? I think it was back first in the Jesus movement that someone asked this question. Francis Schaeffer, if I'm not mistaken, said, If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Or is it just something you talk about? Dead faith may be based solely on what you say, but dead faith may be solely on what you do. So you've gone through the right motions. You've signed up. Whatever it is—Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, non-denominational—is a big one right now. Fill in your blank. You've even been through rituals. You've been baptized, whether that means dunked or dipped. You've walked down an aisle. You've raised a hand. You've prayed a prayer. You went to church class. Been to confirmation. You've had that first communion. All those rituals. You don't drink and you don't chew and you don't go with girls that do. You're checking off the right boxes. It's what you do. But James is consistent with Paul. Our faith is not just what we do. I was thinking about this and thinking about how for some of us it would make us feel better if it was, right? If it was our pedigree, our, our resume of faith. We know Paul agreed with James because in Philippians he would say all these things that he has done. He has given his resume in Philippians chapter three, and then he says, But I count that all as rubbish. Literally he says dung. If you don't know what that is, look it up. So I began to think about my background. It's pretty good. I was in church nine months before I was born. They put me on the roll before I ever showed my head. Then I became a follower of Jesus at a young age. I like to say I was Baptist born. I was Baptist bred. When I eat fried chicken, I'm Baptist fed. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I've got all that pedigree. I went to a Baptist college, a Baptist seminary. I've got graduate degree. The studies for doctoral work I've pastored five different churches. I've received honors. I've, I've led our Florida Baptist pastors. I've, I've led pastors here in Tampa Bay. At a young age, I was a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. and yet god's word doesn't list any of that, does it? I could do all those things and go to hell, because it's not just what you do. So he says, beware of this dysfunctional faith, beware of a dead faith, and then he really throws a wrench at it, he says, beware of demonic faith. Demonic faith. Do you know that according to scripture, the devil and his demons have faith? James 2.19 puts it this way. You believe that there is God and he is one? You do well. Big deal. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Demonic faith. What is James saying? It's not about being orthodox. It's not about your creeds. It's not about intellectualism. You can know all the right things and that knowledge never makes the 18 inch journey from your head to your heart. You never experience the transformation. Jesus encountered demons. One example is Matthew chapter eight and verse 29. It says, And behold, they cried out, What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us? Do the devil and his demons believe that Jesus is God? Yes. In fact, I got to thinking about that. Could a demon join most churches? Well, it depends on what you ask. They go to membership class or in some cases still walk down an aisle. Pastor greets them. Hi, my name is Paul. What's your name? Well, it's Lucifer, but you can call me Luke. All right, Luke. You believe in God? Yes, I do. You believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Do you know that he died on the cross for the sins of mankind? Oh yeah, I know that. Are you aware that he rose from the grave? Yes. The Orthodox belief is not what it takes to have a relationship with God. But if you ask old Luke, hey, Luke, have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus? Are you following him? Lucifer would say, No, 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 no. It's that's not going to happen. Because it's all about me. See, a demonic faith is all about self. What kind of faith do you have?